Well, well, good evening, everybody. Uh, great to be in your great neck of the woods. Canada, you're still here. And we are delighted that we're able to come back and visit you in this great country. How are you doing? You good? You all right? You survived? You thriving? You happy? You're blessed to be gathering again. It's quite a miracle. Isn't it amazing how we appreciate the little things again? when some of those things have been taken from us. And I'm just delighted to be back in your nation. And we prayed for you. We've wept with you through some of the stuff you've had to walk through, as many of us around the world have had to. But uh, it's just wonderful to be back together again. Thanks to the guys for hosting us this week. Thank you for coming from wherever you've come. And I trust that you've come with fresh expectation. Uh, we've done equips for many, many years, 40-something years. We've called them different things, but then since they've been a similar thing. And I, I just want to tell you this, we're grateful for what we've been involved in, but I'm super excited about what God's called us to walk in into the future. And it does require a fresh understanding. It requires ears to hear, uh, eyes to see, hearts to respond. How many of you know God's speaking? And when God speaks, it's always with a response. He doesn't just speak for the sake of speaking because he's got nothing else to do. He speaks, so we would respond. He's looking for responders to his word, not just hearers, but responders. And I, I kind of think we're good at hearing because we have a whole lot of access to so many things. But if I can be honest, I'm not sure we're good at responding. And we don't actually do what we're told. We love to hear it, decide what we like, dislike, think about it, pray about it, go and find other information. But rather, just let's be people who are faithful to God. And faithful with His Word. I want to be found faithful with His Word. I want God to speak. My biggest prayer when I'm preaching is, God, please speak. God, we need you to speak. And here's what happens. When God speaks, we often say, thank you for that Word, Lord. And we move on to what we... To be faithful with the Word of God is when He speaks, let's respond. What did God say and what must I do? Because when God speaks, He says things and He's looking for us to respond. And so I trust we together will be faithful with that. And uh, God is speaking. God continues to speak. Those people who tell me God doesn't speak, it's generally because you've never opened your Bible or you're not opening your Bible. And it's kind of like saying, I want to get a text message, but my phone's off. How many of you know you need your phone on to get a text if you want a text? I don't want any more texts, but if you wanted one... And it's kind of the same thing. It's like we want God to speak, but we've kept our Bibles closed. Open your Bible. And you know the Word of God, God speaks. And someone said this, that the Bible is the only book that the author is always present when, the, when his book is read. God is always with us when we open his Word. When, God, when we open God's Word, God opens his mouth. And so I want to just tell you this week, God is speaking. God wants to speak. It's going to be through his Word. And I trust we will respond to the things that God is saying. But it is great to be with you this evening. And I have the privilege of kind of just kicking us off tonight and trusting that we're going to really connect with what God's doing in every session, not just at the end of this time. And may you just find freedom in God this week and tonight as God challenges you just to trust, to change, repent if you need to. Don't wait till the end in case there's no moment at the end. Just adjust as God reveals. Come back to what matters. Cheer each other on. But let's truly do some serious business with the Lord tonight as He takes us more and more to where He wants us to be. And I, I, I've been, like you, I'm sure, 
trying to find out and work out what's been going on through this crazy, crazy time. I think the best way I've heard it described is that we have not been in the same boat, but we've all been in the same storm. Many people say, ah, we're all in the same boat. We're actually not. We're all in different boats, but we've all been in the same storm. And the challenge for us is how do we respond in our boat to the storm that we've all faced together? And I trust you've been dealing with this stuff in your boat that you've dealt with, the, plugged the holes where the holes have been, maybe sorted out where you've been going, the direction you've been going, whatever it be, it's not up to others to adjust your boat, it's up to you to adjust your boat. We've had to do that in local churches around the world, we've had to do that in different countries, different nations, same storm, different boat. And uh, I, I trust as we've come out of the storm, who knows what's next, that we've dealt with the things that needed to be dealt with. But the thing I want to say to us this evening is that the moment that we've been in has not paused the mission that God has had us on. God never stopped anything He was doing. Maybe God stopped some of what we were doing in order to remind us again of what He is doing and to remind us that out with Him, without Him we cannot do anything. And so God hasn't paused anything. He's carried on with his mission. I've dared read, and it's come back to me because it's my place in reading the scriptures that I've come back to the book of Jonah. And if you know me, it's the most irritating book in my life are those four chapters that irritate me to no end. And it's because in those four chapters, God has challenged me to no end every time I read that text. And I wish I could gloss over it, but it came to reading it again through this time, and I've gone back to this. And the, the revelation I've caught out of this book of Jonah is simply this. We are God's mission while we are on God's mission. We are His mission while we on His mission. You, you, do I need to explain that? Or are you understanding what that means? It's not just the mission we carry on with. God's got to deal with some stuff in us as He uses us to fulfill His purposes and His plans. It's interesting in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. But Jonah ran away. And for a chapter and a half, Jonah's running from God. In other words, God's issue was Nineveh, then God's issue was Jonah to sort Jonah out to get Jonah back to Nineveh to do what it is God called him to do. And the chapter 3 verse 1 of Jonah, the word of the Lord came a second time. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. Note, God didn't change. Note his will didn't change, his command didn't change, his desire didn't change, his call didn't change. The one who had to change was Jonah. <laughs> Maybe this crazy season we've been in, God's had to change us in order to get us back to walking in his plans and his purposes. And so it's not all bad. It hasn't been easy, but it's not all bad. And I want to tell you this evening, God's been doing some incredible things through this crazy, crazy time. The challenge for us, and I said this to the leaders this morning, is that we're not to be distracted in this season by what God's not doing because we're not able to see what God is doing. 
I've been frustrated. I have been angered. I have been mad. I've been disappointed. I'm being honest. I've been saddened by what's happened. I've seen churches shut down and never open again. In America, 35,000 churches shut down and have never opened again. The doors of those churches have shut down and are not coming back. 35,000. And I'm not here to throw rocks or point fingers. I'm just telling you there's a problem when the church shuts down because we went through a difficult time. The church should not close. Should should never shut down. God's plans never change. We've got to find fresh ways and fresh strategies to be the, God, the people God's called us to and to do what it is. And, and I've been disappointed. I've been disappointed in my government. I know you're disappointed in our government too. You've told me since I've been here. I've been disappointed in what people have said. I've been disappointed by the stuff I've seen on social media through believers. I'm just telling you, I've been so focused and disappointed on what we've been doing that God had to get my attention to remind me again of what He's been doing. And when you begin to see some of what He's been doing, it actually gives you an understanding of some of the season. And it's good to know God's been doing some stuff. So don't be distracted, my friends. Because you can't see what God's doing. Understand, God's been doing some radical stuff through the season. It's a new season. It's a new day. It's not holding on to what was. You cannot be nostalgic for an era that no longer exists. 2019 is gone. Not one day into the future, through the season, God's been doing some stuff. Has He adjusted and changed some things? In your life. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no uh, vision, the people perish. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But I love Eugene Peterson's version in the message. He says, when people cannot see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what God reveals, that's where they're most blessed. And so we as God's people need to come back to what God's revealing, what God's doing, and giving our attention to those things, and then we know we can live in the blessing and the call of what God has. And so friend, the challenge to us tonight, don't be distracted because you can't see what God's been doing. And I certainly don't want to stand up here this evening and tell you I know all that God's been doing, but I want to tell you this, God has been doing some stuff, and it's excited me because I want to tell you what's happened. He's answered some of our prayers. The stuff we're walking in today is, in a sense, an answer to the prayers. I didn't pray for COVID, just so you know. I don't believe God sent COVID. And if you do, you're wrong, but we can still be friends. God didn't send COVID. I know where COVID came from. If you want to talk about it, I'll let you know. But it wasn't from God. Sorry, that was a bad joke. Um, But God didn't send COVID. But this I know, God allowed COVID. I'll tell you I know how He allowed it, because it happened. And God takes these crazy things that happen and He uses them for His plans, for His purposes, and to get His church back to what He intended His church to be. And so the challenge, again for us is, friends, let's understand a little more of what God's been doing. And, and in my limited understanding, I believe three major things have been happening right now. Three major things. And, and they've always been happening, but it seems like they've been exposed more and more. The one thing that's happening right now is that people are sinning like never before. And I know that people have always sinned, and I know in the book of Genesis where sin entered the world, I understand that, but it would seem that it's at another level sin, and it's been exposed, and can I say it's been exposed in the church as well. 
It's like people are sinning, our governments, again, I'm not dis- dissing our governments, but it's like exposing of corruption, and no one seems to care. And sin is everywhere, and people are sinning, and, and it's like being shown more and more. And I want to just tell you, it doesn't matter what you think about sin, God hates sin. God will never endorse sin. God will never allow sin. Sin is what put His Son on the cross. And so while we think it's okay, I'm not talking about sin tonight, God doesn't believe it's okay. And so we're seeing people sin like never before. Lawlessness, 2 Timothy 3. I'm not going to read it to you, but go read it. It talks about godlessness in the last days. And you know what Paul says? Avoid such people. It seems like we endorse such people. And Paul said, avoid those people. Avoid those people. Stay away. Keep far away from them. You know, friends, it's a sad reflection of the church today that we're more afraid of holiness than we are of sinfulness. And so I believe people are sinning like never before. Let it not be us who are sinning. Let us adjust. And if you're sinning tonight, God can forgive you. Repent. But don't just carry on thinking it's okay. It's not okay. So we got people sinning. Now that would be bad enough if that's all that was happening. But at the same time as people are sinning, I believe the devil is raging. So you've got people sinning, and at the same time you've got the devil raging. How many of you believe the devil is raging like now? Never. And I'm not here to highlight the devil, but I'm here to tell you he's real, and he's not a little mouse with a megaphone. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, stay, resist him, standing firm in the faith. And the devil's raging. So you've got people sinning like never before. You've got the devil raging like never before. I was just recently in South Africa, and I went back there, and we went and had a few days at a game park, we saw some lion. I'm telling you, we saw some lion. I prayed, Lord, I want to see a lion. When we got in, I told the game ranger, he said, what do you want to see? I said, lion. Just give me a lion. I just want a lion. It's my favorite animal. But we saw so many lion. I'm like, find us something else. (laughs) But let me tell you, lion are no joke. And the Bible says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. We had, Marcus was with me, we had a lion simply, ooh, and I just about died when he, who, he just looked up and who does, didn't even roar, just who. We actually had four uh, 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 elephants coming towards us, and we were caught in the middle, and about seven lions going for the elephants. And we were stuck in the middle in the center, and we were like, I'm about to die. My whole family, my three sons, and my wife, and my friend. And I was like, take my friend and kill them, but not my family, Lord. Now, I don't want to lose you in this story, but I want to tell you, it's no joke when a lion roars. Yet we downplay the intimidation of the enemy. And I'm just telling you, the devil's raging like never before. He's intimidating, and we are needing to be aware and to stand true and resist. He's raging. He's using us to rage against each other. 
Social media, I'm not going to just stay there. I just, we go there and we are taking each other out on social media. And my friends, best we stop. We've got a calling together to unite around purpose. Stop taking each other out and raging against each other as the devil's using us to divide the house of God. Thank you, sir. It's, it's a cesspool out there on social media. i got friends who won't talk to each other, unliking each other, unfollowing each other. We're on team together for the kingdom. We won't talk to each other because we are posting something about a vaccine or a something else or a COVID this or racial this. And I'm just telling you, it's never going to end. And best we unite around the king and his kingdom. Because he knows, mess us up. Now, social media may not have enabled the lame to walk, but it has enabled the dumb to speak. Let us not be those dumb speaking and dividing and letting the devil use us to rage against one another. Are you there with me, friends? We've got to contend for unity in this season and come back to the things that really matter. So you've got... Man sinning, not man, people, because I say man and everyone says, yeah, it's the men. No, women too. I'm just telling you, women are sinning too, just so you know. Yeah, okay, we'll move on. But I can tell you the story of creation. No, no, let's move on. So, man, people, people are sinning. Just a joke. Relax. It's not a joke. It's in Scripture. But anyway, we'll keep it as a joke. Nothing joking about Scripture. But hey, so you've got people sinning. You've got the devil raging. Now, if those two things were happening, it would be bad enough for us to try and minister into that. But at the same time, my dear friends, and this is what I want to highlight tonight, at the same time, God is shaking. People are sinning, the devil's raging, and God is shaking. God is shaking. The thing about shaking is shaking reveals what we are anchored to. We don't know what we're anchored to till the shaking takes place. And when the shaking comes, the Bible's very clear, that which stands is the kingdom. Anything that's not the kingdom will be shaken, must be shaken. It all comes down, but the kingdom of God is the only thing that will not be shaken. One Sunday in 1916, G. Campbell Morgan stood in the pulpit of Westminster Chapel in London to deliver his sermon. World War I had been raging for two years, killing and maiming countless soldiers and shattering the prosperity of Europe and America. Death and suffering were everywhere. And Morgan preached a sermon entitled, Things Shaken, Things Not Shaken, from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27. He said, if we have learnt nothing else, surely we have seen our smug self-confidence rocked to the core by the hand of God. He closed his sermon that war-ravaged Sunday with these words, for every shaking of the earth, the people of faith thank God. Only the things which are not vital can be shaken. Only the transient can be destroyed. The real things of life abide, faith, love, and hope. Through the shaking of these 
Are, the manifest, are they manifested? Or as Haggai said, by the shaking comes the desire of the nations, which is Christ himself. May he direct our hearts into that patient waiting for him that is born of our sense that the shaking of all things is of God and that only that which can, which can be shaken can be destroyed. See, he understood something of the need for the shaking of God. And I'm not sure, friends, that we as followers of Jesus understand the need of shaking and the need for shaking. And I want to tell you this evening, I hate the shaking, but I've learned to understand why we need to be shaken. And I'm grateful that this side of eternity, God shakes things that can be shaken so we don't waste our time, our effort, our resources, our families, our lives, giving ourselves to something that we will get to heaven because of Jesus, but we would have realized we we wasted our lives on things that have no eternal bearing. And so we've seen churches shut down. We've seen people leave. We've seen buildings go. We've seen stuff happen, and it's broken my heart. But I'm still grateful today that God did it this side of eternity so we can fix it and make sure it's all kingdom or it's not. And so shaking's a good thing, and that's what this guy understood. Shaking reveals God's hand. God shakes things up. And, and I want to tell you that God shakes to break down. God shakes to break things down. But God also shakes to break things up. He shakes to break open. Think about that. It's not just to tear us down. I've always believed the shaking of God is always to bring us down. And one day I was spending time with my Father in heaven going, why are you shaking? And I felt the Lord tell me, you're only focusing on the breaking down. There are other things that happen when I shake. I break things open. Are you listening, friends? There are things that were shut, but through the shaking have now been opened. I've never heard... People talk about God the great door closer. I only hear about people talking about God the great door opener. But in that same text in the book of Revelation, it says that God says he'll close door, he'll open doors that no man can, uh, can, no man can shut. Don't you love that? Come on, preacher, brother, amen. That's awesome. God's the great door open. Not even your government, not even your pastor, not even your leader. No one can close the doors that God opens. Amen, preacher, brother. But it goes on in that same verse. And says that he closes doors that no man can open. Ah, that has to be the devil. The devil's the door closer. God's the great door opener. He's the great door opener and great door closer. And what we've got to be good at, is God's people in the season, is to know what doors he's opened and what doors he's closed. And we can pray and we can fast and we can have meetings and prayer and fasting. And God, please open the door that's closed through the season, only to know he closed some doors in order for us to see the doors that have been opened. <laughs> you know that nations were shut down and we couldn't get to some of those nations, but doors have opened through covid and in this season, because we've seen God's doors, and we haven't tried to kick doors down that God's closed. And maybe it's seasonal, maybe it's forever, but we've got to get better at not going back to what was, but realize the great door opener is also the great door closer, and it's for us to walk through doors that are open. That's what we've got to be better at in a season of shaking. 
We've got testimonies. We just had a team, a global team meeting. And most of the nations were represented at our team meeting. And we just heard about the doors that have been opened through COVID. It's not been a lockdown for God. It's been a door opening for God. But some doors have closed. And maybe it's because God closed those doors so we can walk through open doors. Our challenge tonight is not to try and kick down the doors he's closed, to look for the doors he's open and walk through them in this time and in this season. Shaking breaks things open. Shaking, God brings breakthrough. We pray for the God of the breakthrough to bring breakthrough. When the shaking happens, breakthrough comes. Shaking brings breakthrough. Shaking. God wants to break in in the shaking. See, God wants his church back. I said to the pastor, the leaders this morning, part of the season is God's reclaimed his church. He wants his church back. He doesn't want to be absent from his people. He wants to be with his people. And so he will break in. He's shaking things up to break back into his people. He's not absent. He's not just theology that he's with us. He wants to be omnipresent and he wants to be manifested presence with us. We love the omnipresence of God. We love that God's everywhere because when he's everywhere, we don't have to do anything with him being everywhere. But he's not only everywhere, he's here. And he wants us to acknowledge him being here. And so I've said to the guys, what would the church look like if it was built to attract God, not just people? It would probably look very different to the church we see today. It wouldn't be all the stuff that is attractive to the people. It would be a heart that pursues God, a heart of a people that truly understand that God is what we're going after, not people. Are you there, friends? Now, I know we're here to reach people, but I want to tell you, we're so often trying to reach people at the expense of having God with us. And when shaking comes and doors are closed and the church can't open for whatever happens, people leave the show because the show's over. But when they're connected to Him, they don't leave the show because there's no show. We're connected to Him, God Himself. Watch how strong that church would be. Does it make sense? So shaking actually is God breaking in to His people, to His church. He wants His church back. Shaking also causes us to break out. Break out. So all this to say that I've learned this more and more, that people lose their way when people lose their why. People lose their way when people lose their why. And I'm going to come back to you with a simple message this evening and say this. We've got to keep coming back to the king and his kingdom. If the kingdom is what cannot, cannot be shaken, then why don't we focus on the kingdom exclusively? If it's the kingdom only that cannot be shaken, then let's give our attention and affection and voice to the kingdom rather than get caught up in all the other byproducts at the, most, at, at the expense of the most important thing. And so I believe God has brought us back to a people who are about His kingdom and who are about the king of that kingdom being Jesus Christ. That's why He shakes, to reveal what's kingdom and what's not. We've got to keep coming back. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've been rescued from the dominion of darkness, transferred not into the church, into the kingdom. Are you there, friend? If you're a believer tonight, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. God's kingdom. We are in the kingdom. We are the kingdom. And that's what he's all about, the kingdom. So 
understand the, the, the role and, and, and the need for that. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's the kingdom that is declared to be unshakable. Matthew 6, verse 33, well-worn text. Seek first His kingdom, which I believe is His will, and His righteousness, His way. And these things will be given or added unto you. So seeking the kingdom is our priority as believers. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus speaking about the kingdom. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought the field. Now, I know that Jesus was using that as an illustration, but let me just remind you, he bought the field for the treasure, not to have another field. <laughs> are, you, are you hearing this? What gave that field value was the kingdom. But some of us are so busy taking care of the field, we forgot the reason we have the field, because of the treasure. The kingdom is what gives value to everything we do. He didn't buy the field for a field. He bought the field because he wanted the kingdom. It's the treasure that got him to buy that, that field. And I think sometimes, I'm just being honest, we the church are so busy with the field, we forgot the field has no value without the treasure, the reason we have the field. Romans 14, 17 and 18, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Just as you read Scripture, and I've gone back and spent a lot of time in Scripture in this crazy season because it's all I had. People were fighting me, what do we do here and how do we, and I'm like, I don't know. Let me just tell you what the Bible says. And I had to go back, and I said this this morning, one of our friends, Ken Grenfell, many of you know Ken, he's a, one on our translocal team, he's a prophetic guy, one of the prophetic guys in our, on our team, They're based in Virginia, the U.S., and he had a, it was here in 2019, we, we were having one of these times together, and he came to me, and I was preaching on prayer, and I had this real burden that we need to get back to praying. God's people need to pray again. And he went in at home, and he came back, and he said, I had a dream last night. I'm like, always nervous when prophets dream, just so you know. I'm like, here we go. Were you eating pizza? What were you eating before you had the dream? Sorry, I'm just doubting a little, but I've had some interesting, yeah, words from dreams, but so he said, I was dreaming. I'm like, oh, Ken, were you dreaming while I was preaching or were you dreaming while you were sleeping? Like what? And he said that my dream was this. I was driving this vehicle full of people to an NCMI prayer meeting. And he said, and I dropped all these people off at this NCMI prayer meeting and I parked my vehicle. And then I got out my vehicle and I started walking to the prayer meeting. And then I realized I'd left my Bible and my notes in, in, my, in my vehicle. So I went back to my vehicle and my vehicle was gone. He said, but I was saddened because my notes and my Bible were in the vehicle. As I turned back to walk to the meeting, I found my Bible. My notes were gone. The, the vehicle was gone, but my Bible was in the sidewalk on the way to the prayer meeting. And then we all came out of the prayer meeting. And he woke up and he said this, 2019, all right, friends, before COVID. And he said this, the vehicle, I believe, he said, represents the church or ministry. It disappeared. 
2019. It was gone. Now, if he told me that and he said, that means God's taken away the church and ministry, I would have pulled out the stones and rocks and thrown rocks because there's no way that could have happened. But guess what? It did happen. The vehicle was taken, gone. And he said, the vehicle represents the church or ministry. And for a season or a moment, somewhere globally, it disappeared. And he said, and so, he said, but what I believe God's saying coming into this new season is that it's going to require the Word of God because that's the only thing he found. Not his notes, not his preaching stuff. The Bible, the Word of God was the thing he found. And he was on his way to a prayer meeting. It's going to be prayer and God's Word that's going to get us into the season God has for us going forward. And I was, what a great confirmation on what I'm preaching on we need to pray more. Only to find out in 2021, I finally woke up. Sorry, I'm slow to learn. And I looked at that prophetic Word. I called to him and I said, did you know that we were going to shut down globally and ministry as we know it would cease for a moment like it has. And he said, of course not, which I'm grateful for honest prophets. But I want to tell you, we can't highlight just that. We need to know going forward, it's going to require prayer and God's word. Radically word-based. Not adding God's word, not tagging on, not finding five-point sermons through his word. It's coming back to the will of God, the word of God. And so I've spent a lot of time in the word of God and in prayer. And here's what I want to tell you. The Bible, certainly the New Testament, it is all about the kingdom of God. Kingdom living is the central theme of the entire New Testament. Jesus spoke more in the Gospels about the kingdom than anything else. Jesus' first sermon was on the kingdom of heaven being at hand, Matthew chapter 4, 17. He prayed to the Father that His kingdom would come here on earth, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. It's the kingdom that, the, that is delivered over to the Father, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28. It's the kingdom that demands repentance, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. It's the kingdom that Jesus explained to the bewildered disciples before Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says that Jesus, after his suffering, he went about and showing many proofs and convincing people he was alive. And for 40 days after he was raised from the dead, what did he preach? The kingdom. It's the kingdom that Nicodemus was seeking at great personal risk. John 3, verse 3. It's the kingdom that is not in word but in power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. And I want to shift and, and challenge us again tonight that we need to pivot in this season from being church-focused back to being kingdom-focused because what's shaken is everything can be and will be shaken. Now, I know that most of you have heard me talk on these things and go, yeah, I agree with that. I'm not asking, do we agree? Have we pivoted? Are we church-focused or are we kingdom-focused? And I want to tell you, there is a difference. And if we're going to walk in the plans and the purposes of God in this season, we've got to pivot and shift intentionally back to kingdom and not just be focused on the local church. Are you there? See, I believe the church is in the kingdom, and the kingdom is in the church, but the church is not the kingdom. The kingdom of God is unshakable. The kingdom of God is eternal. The kingdom of God is absolute. The kingdom of God is infinite. No limit in time and space. And can I say, none of those descriptions apply to the church. Are you there? 
35,000 churches shut down. How many of you know that's not kingdom? People have left the church. The churches have been shaken. I've seen splits in the church all my life. I'm 50 years old now, and I've grown up in the church, and I have seen splits in my day in church. People come, people go. People split it. People shut it down. People, And let me tell you, kingdom doesn't do that. Church can do that. Why? Because the church is not the kingdom. And it's essential that we shift our focus and understanding back to Scripture that we are not the kingdom. The kingdom's in us, and we are in the kingdom, but we're not the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom. The kingdom is part of the purpose of God. The church are the people of God. And when you make the people the purpose, we're in trouble of losing purpose altogether. Does that make sense? You need both. It's not either or. I'm not pitching them against each other because they are hand in hand. It's like two legs. How many of you know I need both my legs? But these legs are not the same. I'm right leg. I'm right handed. You can see my awesome cut. No, I won't. I'll just move My right calves are bigger than my. No, they're not the same leg, just so you know. But both legs are needed for me to operate and walk. And I want to suggest the church and the kingdom of this is similar. One's the left, one's the right. We need both legs, but they're not the same leg. And when you pitch them as the same, we end up becoming about the church every single time. And then the shaking comes, and we've got to redo this and relook at this, and we've got to try and motivate people and stand up here and get the evangelists in to make us feel bad for not evangelizing. And we've got to mobilize people to the mission and keep them on mission. We've got to keep talking about Jesus. If you catch kingdom, you catch those things automatically. Are you okay with this, friends? There's an urgency. I'm not shouting. I'm, 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 I'm passionate about these truths because they've been lost again. You know, I, I, Paul and Mindo, I met them in South Africa how many years ago? 13 years ago. And I was preaching in a church there, and they were in that church, and I preached on the kingdom, this kind of stuff. And he came to me. I just was in, in, I was planting. I was in the middle of planting, moving from Australia to planting in the U.S. They were American and they said, I'm so glad you're taking this message to America. They need to hear this. And I was like, well, you're American. You should be in America too. Why are you in South Africa? Get over there. And it took them a while, but they finally came. Huh? But I want to tell you, it was the passion message that I was carrying. And then I planted in America, and we started our church like this. And we preached kingdom, and we preached kingdom. And then people came to me and started saying, tone it down, bro. If you just... Calm down with kingdom. We would get more people. We would bring more people. More people would come to this church. We would be bigger. More churches would partner with NCMI. And I, and I don't believe I listened, but I believe it got in there. And I began to wear down and get busy with the stuff of church life and church structure. And those things matter. But we put aside the kingdom. Because we allowed people to dictate what God's called us to do. And the shaking came, and I watched much of what we gave our lives to fall apart. And I said, never again. It's kingdom or it's nothing, because we got to come back to what really matters. And I, I love Canada. I really do. I know you think we joke because we're from America. I love this nation. That's why I'm here. And I'm telling you, friend, there's a pressure on this nation like no other nation to calm down, to just settle down. Don't come with this stuff. Just fit in. Just be another church, another great church. And I'm telling you, God, he'll never play that game. It's kingdom or it's coming down. And tonight the Lord releases us to be intentional about both legs, not the leg people want to hear about. Are you okay? 
There's a distinction between the two. It must be clear. The reciprocal nature of the two must be held in tension. It's not either or. But most people talk about the church. Very few talk about the kingdom. And I'm saying let's bring them together by focusing on the kingdom again. You can never separate the kingdom and the church. They're different, but they're essentially inseparable. They would need to walk together as two legs, as I said. But they have different meanings and content. The kingdom is the purpose and the church are the people that fulfill the purpose. We've got to stop preaching the people are the purpose. Can I say to you this evening, the church is not about people. The church is a people who are about Jesus. And that is a very different way to see our mission and our mandate. If it's about people, it's what about us? If it's about people who are about Jesus, it's what about Jesus? Very different. Church needs to view itself as Jesus did. The church is an agent of God's mission. We're not the goal of God's mission. We're the agency through which His kingdom comes. I believe when the kingdom is declared, the church is built. When we proclaim His kingdom, the result is that the church is built. But when we preach the church, the result is not the advancing of the kingdom, and it's not the standing strong of the church. Kingdom causes the church to be strong. Does it make sense? The kingdom is our priority, and out of that proclamation, people are called out into body, the body, ecclesia, to embrace Christ's lordship. So here's the challenge again. We need a kingdom-shaped view of the church, not a church-shaped view view of the kingdom. We need a kingdom-shaped view of the church, not a church-shaped view of the kingdom. We need not to get distracted with upkeep of the church instead of advancing the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, I've watched, and as a leader, I've been busy trying to keep the church being the church at the extent of actually advancing the kingdom. The upkeep of the church is not our call. The advancing of the kingdom is what we're being called to. Are you there, friend? And this season's been crazy, and we've had a season of trying to gather the people back. But I'm telling you tonight, from the Father, it's about advancing the kingdom, not keeping the saved saved. Is that Okay. So what is the kingdom? Well, I believe it's simply the rule and reign of God. Simply the rule and reign of God. Wherever God rules and reigns, how many of you know that's the kingdom? It's not this mystified, mystical, unknown, weird thing. And when I hear, listen to people talk about the kingdom, I'm overwhelmed how weird that is. It's not weird. I don't fully understand this, but this I know. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. Wherever God rules and wherever God reigns, that's His kingdom. God's reign through God's people over God's place. That's the kingdom. A kingdom is that territory over which the king reigns. And so the point being is, if I pray for someone tonight and they get healed, how many of you know that's the kingdom? People say, oh, you guys are kingdom now. Yeah, we bet we kingdom now, and we kingdom not yet. One day, full reign of God will come. But right now, there is some of the kingdom coming in and through us. As we take land, as we take territory, when someone gets saved, it's the kingdom. The rule and reign of God come in their life. When we pray for a marriage and God brings restoration, the rule of God comes, it's the kingdom. When we pray for sick people, they get healed, it's the kingdom. The break King in the rule and reign. God's put us here to bring 
advancement through his, for his kingdom, not to grow the church. <laughs> and I'm a church guy because without the church, it's what Jesus is building, but we, the church, have to focus on the kingdom, not the church. Why am I passionate about this? Because it's in the Bible. But also because I've been given a mandate from heaven to get this job done. And I'm desperate to get the job done. And I've, why do we have to keep preaching the same things? It's because we focus on the wrong things. I'm not frustrated. I'm desperate to come right and say, let's stick to the plan of God and not get caught up. I had a, man, a friend who's a friend, a mutual friend who's not part of NCM, a prophetic guy who God put me on his heart for two weeks. And so eventually he said, okay, God, what do you want me to tell Tyron? And so he phones me and he said, I haven't heard from him for a long, long time. He said, God put me on your heart for two weeks. And this is what I, he said, okay, there's this picture. And it was basically this picture of me standing on a deck, on a dock. And there were thousands of ships out on the sea. And he said, I had two ropes. One of the ropes went to the, behind me and it was these pylons of, of foundations. And they, all the ships had a, a, a rope into there and there was another one in my hand. And he said, I saw you standing on this dock and you shook these you, you, you pivoted. As you shook these two, two uh, ropes, all the ships pivoted into the same direction. He said, I believe God's given you the ability and the authority now to get the church, the people, that, uh, to line up with your agenda. And I want to tell you, when I hear your agenda, it's not my agenda. I put my agenda aside. What's your agenda? I went to the Father and I said, Lord, what is your agenda? There's pivots I've been writing about, preaching about. And I felt the Lord say, we need to pivot from being church-focused back to kingdom-focused. That's the great pivot of which all these other pivots will take place. That's why I'm preaching on kingdom tonight. And every time I get to preach, it's coming back. Pivot from church to kingdom. Are you there, my friends? Not for my glory, for His. And I know we know this, but I'm asking honestly tonight, are we shifting and are we focused on the kingdom or we keep defaulting back to our church? So let me land, well not land, but crash land. I'm going to use a biblical number seven. And I want to give you quickly seven signs. I know there's more and less. I'm just picking seven. Signs of the kingdom. Because I've yet to meet someone who doesn't believe their kingdom. I've yet to speak to leaders who don't believe we're about the kingdom. I've grown up in the church who claim to be kingdom. I'm just telling you a lot of what the church is doing is not kingdom. And so why don't we have to, why don't we find out what is kingdom? Why don't we go to the Word of God and say, what is kingdom? What is a sign of the kingdom? How many of you want to know, I'm part of something, I'm involved in something, I'm giving my life to something that is kingdom because the signs are there rather than I hope God's in this. So I'm going to give you a few, seven if we get to them, we might not, but I'll just give you the highlights. Number one, the sign of the kingdom, the number one sign is the sovereignty of the king. Now that sounds so obvious and you want to get, a lot of people are tired, I'm tired of you preaching about Jesus. Give us something else. Well, here's what I want to tell you. If we get kingdom, you wouldn't have to hear me talk about Jesus. Because the first sign of true kingdom is Jesus is the sovereign king over it all. But if we focus on church, we get busy with stuff. If we understand kingdom, it all revolves around the king. <laughs> are you there? Now, I've been listening because I want to hear what people are preaching around the world, not just in our ranks, everywhere. 
And here's what I've found. So much of kingdom preaching today presents a kingdom with a vacant throne. We preach kingdom and the absence of the king. How many of you know there's no such thing as a kingdom without a king? He's the most important sign of the kingdom. Without Jesus, without a king, there is no kingdom. It's a wannabe monarch. It's not a kingdom. And so I want to say to you tonight, if Jesus is sovereign in all things in your life and in your ministry, then you have a sign of truly being a kingdom person. (laughs) He's the main sign of the kingdom because he is the king of the kingdom. See, if we're church-focused, then we are the focus. If we're kingdom-focused... He's the focus. I want to say this. A correct view of Jesus will give us a correct view of everything else. We all have opinions. We all have perspectives. We all have passions. We all have desires. We all have ministry callings in our hearts. If we had time, we could go around and ask the people in this room, tell me what your passion is. And you would gladly tell me and tell us because that's what God's called you to be and called you to do. But can I tell you, it has no value if it's not linked under the king. It's just another ministry. It's a cause, and causes are dividing the church because they haven't come under Christ. They've taken the place of Christ. We've got to bring our causes under Christ because he's the main sign of it all. Colossians chapter 1 talks about Jesus. We know that text, well-worn text, text I love to read. And that whole text is that he's... uh, he shows who God really is. He is God, and it says that he's been given first place in everything. Now just think about that. He doesn't carry a place. He has first place. We just had our equip, well, not just in sometime June, I think it was in Chicago, our U.S. equipment, James Lusk, one of the guys we've planted in uh, New York, he preached, one of the best preachers, the simplest preachers, but the most profound, and he preached this message. And he said, Jesus is either ornamental or he's fundamental. And what he said is this, if he's ornamental, he fits around us. If he's fundamental, we fit around him. And I believe that in most of the church today, Jesus is ornamental. We tag him on. We put him where we want him. Rather than fundamental, we fit around him. We become more like him. The Bible says that Jesus has not been given a place. He's been given first place, preeminence, supremacy, first in everything. Not a place, first place. Are you there? I'm challenged by that truth, friend. But if I'm about the kingdom, then the king has full rule and reign in me, over me, through me, and he's the main sign of it all. You know, we, when, when COVID hit first, and, and I mean, we weren't allowed to meet. America did open up a little quicker, I know, and we were able to gather. And I remember our first gatherings together as the church. We got together, and we all had masks, and it was a bit weird, but it was hard. But, but we just loved being together. And I remember the worship, the song. It's like anticipation, expectation. I mean, I... I love being in those moments because you preach on anything and people are blessed because they don't, they just love that they're hearing something. You know what I'm saying? I wish we could get back to some of them now. It's like, how long is this going to be? I want to go home. Yeah, I get it. But I was in this moment, in this meeting, I was standing at the back. I promise you, worship was absolutely unbelievable. It was like, 
I felt like I was in heaven. I, it was a picture of heaven for me. It was Jesus honoring. It was Jesus focus. It, it was all Jesus. We weren't questioning who we were singing about. This was sovereignty of Christ. The words that people were bringing were like out of book of Revelation, Revelation 1, the throne room. And I'm standing at the back. Everybody, the musos are on their knees, the people on their knees, the pastors on their knees. And I'm just sitting there, standing at the back going, this is awesome. And I remember saying this to Jesus, you must be so blessed by what's happening because I'm so blessed by what's happening. And I felt the Lord drop into my heart. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. You know what this is? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Do not do what I say. It's like building a house on the sand. And I was like, what is that? mean. And what that meant was we're having this moment of ecstasy and glory and sovereignty and wild Jesus and you are all Jesus and it's all about you Jesus but the majority of us will get up from that meeting and walk out the doors and go back to our thing, our wants, what we want rather than do what he says. And we need these moments. I'm trusting to this week we're going to have these on our knees, undone, surrendered afresh and all. But I want to tell you, friends, it's not enough to have a moment and go back to your own life. If it's Him, it's all Him. And the reason we can call Him Lord is because we do what He says, not because we have a moment with Him. And that is not harsh. That's God saying to us, don't call Him sovereign Lord and not do what He tells you to do. I was rebuked from my being in heaven to reality or here on earth. He's not blessed just because we sing. His love language is obedience. If you love me, you will do what I say. Don't call me Lord if you're not willing to do what I've told you to do. It's not begrudgingly. It's re sovereign king. King of it all. I'll do whatever you say, whenever you say, rather than when it fits in, ornamental. You good? See, when we are, when he's sovereign, we're seeking his governing. He's not our mascot, he's our master. We're guided by the king. We gather for the king. Truly, think about our gatherings. Do we gather for the king or do we gather for us or for our communities? This gathering, what we're doing here, I'm telling you, as the privileged leader of NCMI, we want this to be about the king. And whatever else we get, God bless us. But the king first. We gather for the king, not for each other. Not for our communities, not for our cities, not for the, king, the, 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 the ministry, for the king. We go for the king. We go where we're called to go, not for each other, for the king. Can't be vulnerable for a moment. I just got back to Australia. First time I see my parents in three years. Didn't think I was going to ever see them again. I couldn't get back to Australia with this crazy season. I know many of you can't see your family. I know it's, we're in the same storm here. But I finally got back there. And my parents are not well. Their health isn't good. My dad's, by the grace of God, still alive. But I don't know how long. And every time I leave, never going to know if we're going to see him again. And and I remember sitting there in Australia recently going, Lord, why can't I just come back here and at least have a few year, months, years, just with my parents? 
Because my greatest regret is I live in America, they live in Australia, and their last days I was in America and they were in Australia. Why can't I just go there and have some time and just be there? And I felt the Lord say, you're not in Australia or you're not in America for America. You're not in America for the church you planted. You're not in America for the people. You're there for me. If I was for those other things, go back to Australia. If it's for the king, how can I complain? So we love to say, Jesus, you're awesome, you're worthy, but not when it cuts across me, not being with family. Or Jesus is the great uniter, but my friends, according to Jesus, he's the great divider. I am where I am because Jesus moved me to America. Cannot claim Lord and live in disobedience. Are you with me? You okay? Forgive me for being vulnerable for a moment. If it was for the people, I'm gone. If it was for the church, I no longer lead that church, I should go. But Jesus reminded me, you're there for me. Choose them or me. And he's worth it. I still believe I can go and spend time in Australia. And if I do move back, it's not disobedience. But it just was a great reminder, I'm there for him. Go for the king. Grow for the king. Glory for the king. One of my most go-to scriptures, anyone who's heard me preach, I always go to Matthew 16. I've re-looked at Matthew 16. and Jesus asked, who do people say I am? In terms of John the Baptist, Elijah, Elisha, one of the prophets. And Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say I am? He said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, that didn't come to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Your revelation of me has come from my Father. And he said, I now call you Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And then he says, and I'm giving you keys, not of the king, uh, not to the kingdom, keys of the kingdom. Now give me a bit of leeway here. But I've looked at that and I believe what Jesus is saying. Now that you know who I am and you're trustworthy with your revelation of me, I can now trust you with the kingdom. Not because you're faithful with little, because you're faithful with your revelation of me. When you know who the king is, you can be trustworthy with the kingdom. And in this room, we hear this evening saying, give us more, and there's more for us, and there is more. But how dare we ask for more if we don't know who owns it all? But when you know who it belongs to, he can trust you with more. Am I making sense, friends? We've had some times of toughness and seasons of we all have, but as this team, we've had some time. In transition, things were tough for us. And I'm just telling you, God brought me to a place of finding His Son again. I didn't get saved again, but I found Jesus again and the revelation of Christ. And I felt in those moments, God said to me, if you're faithful with the revelation of my Son, I can trust you with the nations of the world. And I've had to say to the team I'm leading, guys, don't get clever with Jesus. Make it about Jesus, because the promise to me is the promise to us. Be faithful with Jesus and he can trust you with the nations and cities. But if you're faithful to the church and not the kingdom, he will take it and give it to someone else. I didn't come to say this this evening, but know this. Jesus is not added on. He's the most important sign of the kingdom. And we have not understood kingdom if Jesus is not sovereign over all. Second, quickly, spreading the gospel. Another sign is spreading of the gospel. So here's the deal. Kingdom people tell people about their king. 
We don't need an evangelist, and we're all for them. We have them on our team. But I don't need an evangelist to tell me, you need to talk more about your king. If you are kingdom focused, you will talk about your king. So my thing is, instead of us feeling bad and getting another guy to come in and tell us you need to love the world more, just love Jesus, catch the revelation of the kingdom, and you will tell people about the king. It's the natural overflow. That's why kingdom's so essential. So if you want to truly know, if you and I are truly kingdom, then we're telling people about our king. Not because we have to, because we get to. Don't talk about the great church we're a part of. We talk about the great kingdom and the king who rules over it all. I spend a lot of time on airplanes, and when I talk to people and they ask me, and I talk about Jesus, and after an hour, two hours, three hours, they say to me, How come you've never told me about your ministry or your church? All you've done is talking about Jesus. I say, Because that's my call. You need Jesus, not my ministry or my church. Don't come to church to hear about your king. Don't tell people about the king where you are. Don't come to church to hear my pastor talk about the king. Let me tell you about the king. Don't wait till Sunday. Tell you today. This is what kingdom people do. <laughs> Hello. It's good, right? Matthew 24, 14. Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Charles Spurgeon said, It's the whole business of the whole church to get the whole gospel to the whole world. Every one of us should be taking this gospel to everyone, everywhere. And that's a sign of the kingdom. Can I just say, saying preach the gospel is, if necessary, use words. Like, since Francis of Assisi said, is biblically wrong. Now, I understand what he's saying. We need to live the gospel. But I just want to tell you, we're called to declare the gospel, not just live it and, if needed, tell it. It's good news. Gossipers, you want to gossip? Gossip the gospel. That's the only thing you're allowed to talk about. Go talk about the gospel. Gossip that, nothing else. But it's kind of like saying, well, you know, let's go feed the hungry, and if necessary, let's give them food. I'm just telling you, we are called to herald and declare the gospel, the good news, and good news of Jesus Christ. Not the good news of my church, my ministry, Jesus if we don't scatter seed, God will scatter us. Missions is for amateurs, not professionals. This gospel is meant to be gossiped. And a partial commission is not the great commission. Thirdly, signs, wonders, and miracles. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Here's what I've realized. If we're church-focused, we really don't need signs, wonders, and miracles. We want them. We'll pray for that. But we don't really need it because, hey, man, we're the church. But kingdom... It's not an optional extra. We need signs, wonders, and miracles to demonstrate kingdom. So those of us who are not interested, it's because we're interested in church, not kingdom. Are you friends? You're coming back, right? I'm not preaching tomorrow, so good news. But I'm just telling you, you can't claim to be kingdom and not have signs, wonders, and miracles happening. It's, It's God's way of demonstrating kingdom. See, here's what I've realized. I can talk people into this kingdom. My job is to talk. You can tell I talk a lot. But because I talk someone in, I've watched people talk people out. Because it's not about talking. But when there's a signs and wonders and miracles demonstration, people are in because of their own faith, not because someone convinced them. God wants to convince. He doesn't want you to convince. He wants to convince them through you, through signs, wonders, and miracles. Paul said, I don't come with wise and persuasive words. I come with a demonstration. Why? Because I'm about a kingdom, the kingdom, 
not my church. So if you've settled in, I don't believe signs and wonders and miracles, I want to be bold enough to say to you tonight, well, then you've become church-focused because you don't need signs, wonders, and miracles if you're church-focused. But if you're kingdom-focused, it's a sign of kingdom life. You there? I know you. This country's had some radical moves of God. Some weird stuff, but also radical stuff, good stuff. God's been in some of it too, right? Not all bad. But I found in this nation, if I can be bold enough, there's people who are a bit freaked out from some of your history, so we don't want it. You better have it. We need power. It's not an optional extra for deluxe Christians. I'm just telling you, Holy Spirit is not optional extra. Signs, wonders, and miracles. The Bible says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. You know what he was saying? It's not by the might of your people. He was speaking to King Cyrus and he said, it's not the number of your people that gives you your power. We still today care how big our churches are to demonstrate how successful we can be. It's never going to be by your might, nor by your power. And what he was saying is your authority, position as king will never be enough to do what I, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. My spirit, not a spirit, not this spirit, my spirit. And the reason I'm saying my is because it seems like the church today is enamored with the spirit of this age rather than the spirit of Christ. And if we kingdom focus, then it's the, kingdom, the spirit of Christ, not the spirit of this age that we're running with. Does, am I making sense, friends? I, your quietness, I hope it's just because you're Canadian and not mad at me. You know, Philip Yancey said, a society that denies the supernatural usually ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status. And that's true in our nation, but it's true in the church. That when we don't acknowledge the supernatural, we begin to take natural people, gifts, and put them at supernatural status. And when it all comes down and the shaking happens and churches shut down, it's because the natural's taken the place of the supernatural because we're not willing to acknowledge supernatural. The gospel of the kingdom is one of power and must become manifest through the demonstration of God's power. God confirms the breaking in of his kingdom with miracles declared and demonstrated. Powerful witnessing, powerful signs and wonders, powerful prophecy, powerful deliverance, powerful healing. How many of you know God wants to use us to demonstrate and bring His healing power to people? Healing, physical, emotional, relational healing to those wonderful people. Not through the evangelists, not through your leaders, through His people who are kingdom understanding. It's our time. Some say, well, I like the spiritual stuff, but I, I want the spiritual, but I don't like the unusual. Yeah. I get that, but it's kind of like saying, I want to swim, but I'm not wanting to get wet. You're going to get wet. God wants to show His power through ordinary people, the supernatural and extraordinary things. And it's not out there, it's us in this room. So if you're kingdom and you want true signs of kingdom, signs, wonders, and miracles. Quickly, salvation through being born again. This is a big deal. Do you want to know what a sign of the kingdom is? Being saved by being born again. Now, I don't want to create a, your, doubt your, your salvation tonight. I, I don't want to do that, all right? 
But I don't know when last I've heard people talk about being born again. It's kind of like, hey, if you want to get saved, raise your hand. Like, do these things to be saved. And, and I get that. But Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom unless they are born again. I think a lot of church people are saved. I'm not doubting their salvation. They're going to heaven. But they haven't been born again because that's why they're not seeing the kingdom. Born again is not you're a bad dude, now you're a good dude. Born again is I'm born from above. I'm not a bad dude. I don't have to, even trying to, Nicodemus trying to understand, does that mean I have to go back in my mother's womb, explain that? It's not born of this world. It's born from above. When you get saved, you're born again. 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 3.17, is it? Uh, no, 2 Corinthians 5, what is it? 5.17, 2 Corinthians, whatever. The, I'm a new creation. What's it? 5. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Sorry. What other scriptures in there? It's in there. But he says this, I'm not a bad dude. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. I'm not a bad guy who's been made good. That's being saved. You are born again. You're not that dude. And we've got to come to that place. If we truly want people to see the kingdom, they need to be born again, not just saved. I'm not creating a cult because the Bible is very clear on salvation. I get that. But I think we've got to come back to being born again because born again is a big deal. It's a inheriting the Father's DNA. I'm born from above. And until we see that, we're not going to see kingdom stuff. Am I making sense? So rather than, hey, if you want to get saved, put your hand up. Let us talk about being born again again. And watch how people will adjust. Born from above. This understanding of rebirth is critical, friends. It really is. Kingdom people, please hear this, don't live at the foot of the cross. They live at the feet of Jesus. So I hear people, Easter, here we go, and now we go back to the cross. The cross is the entrance into the kingdom. We don't stay at the entrance. We come through the cross into the kingdom. Jesus is not on the cross. Jesus is in heaven right now. Our role as kingdom people is to worship Jesus at his feet in heaven, not at his feet on the cross. I'm not nullifying the cross. Without the cross, we have nothing. But we don't live at the cross. We don't go back to the cross. We come in into the kingdom. Live for the kingdom, not for the cross. <laughs> the kingdom of God provides a holistic understanding of salvation. Not only what we are saved from, but also what we're saved for. What we're saved from death for life. We're saved from shame for glory. We're saved... We're saved from slavery for freedom. We're saved from sin for following our Savior. We're saved from the kingdom of darkness for the kingdom of light. And I say to be saved into God's kingdom is to embrace God's comprehensive rule over every aspect of our lives. And that's a far cry from merely asking Jesus into your heart. It means a new life, a new identity, and a new kingdom. That's what it means to be born again. Another quick point I'm landing, I promise. I wish I could skip over this one. Suffering is a sign of the kingdom. (laughs) Very quiet, we'll move along. But I'm just telling you, it's a sign of true kingdom people. Suffering, not because you're an idiot. Suffering because you're serving God. 
Acts chapter, 20, Acts chapter 14, verse 21, it says, They preached the gospel in that city and reached a whole number. They went, about, uh, they went about encouraging and strengthening the brothers in the faith. And this was their message of encouragement. We must go through many hardships, they said, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Their message of encouragement was hardship. But their focus was not church, it was kingdom. I, I'm not going to prophesy what lies ahead because I don't know, but this I know. Persecution comes to a people who are kingdom focused. And it's not COVID. There's stuff coming our way. If we're not kingdom focused, honestly, friend, we probably will subside away from truth. I'm just telling you, it's part of the kingdom people to understand persecution is what comes our way. Church people go running. Kingdom people stay the course. Why? Because it's for something greater than a people. It's for a king. Number six, sending out and multiplying. <laughs> See, if we, ch again, I'm not trying to just, but if you church focus, keep the people. If you kingdom focus, send the people. Multiply. Multiplication at every level. A church without a kingdom vision always becomes selfish and self-serving. Always. I was in Australia recently and we had an equipping us in Sydney and we stayed in Darling Harbour. Anyone been to Darling Harbour? Beautiful place. It can be. It's not my darling wasn't there, so it wasn't that darling. But but they put us there because we had our equip there. And so what me and my brother in law Chris were staying there. And Every morning early before the sun came up, I went and prayed along the Darling Harbor and just, and the yachts and the ships and the boats. And it was just, wow, I was amazed by the, the catamarans and the luxurious boats. And, but then right there is this maritime museum. And there's this ugly gray battleship. And like amongst all these awesome catamarans and ships and luxurious yachts and that, there's this gray battleship that is ugly. And I kept looking at it, and I look at it, and everything on these luxurious boats are all about laying out. There's places to hang out. It's all about convenience and comfort. And then there's this ugly gray boat ship that has cannons and nowhere to lay out. And I was irritated, so I tried another way of walking, and over the bridge, every time I prayed, I could keep seeing it. I felt the Lord say, my church is not called to be attractional people. It's called to be a missional people. I'm just telling you, friends, we're not called to be attractional. We're called to be missional. And if I was in a war, in a battle, I would rather that battleship than the yacht to come and help me. I want to just tell you this. We are a people who are called to be a missional people, not an attractional people. Kingdom's not about attraction. Kingdom's about mission. It's about taking ground. It's about taking territory. It's about going forward. I felt like the Lord would not let me get away from that. The last one I want to say is a life of significance. What I love about this kingdom is that it gives everybody a life of significance. And they say for the first 40 years of your life, find out what success is and give your life to that. And then you hit 40, midlife crisis. Some of us hit it earlier, some later. But somewhere you get to, what's the significance of it all? Success doesn't matter. What's significant? Well, why don't we get better at teaching younger people to be successful in significant things rather than waiting 40 years? And I'll tell you this. The only way you can find significance is in the kingdom of God. 
everything you do and give your life to in the kingdom gives significance to everything you do. If it's church, it's not. Here's what I've found. The majority of people feel if they haven't served on a Sunday in the front, haven't preached, I've had to help my sons, 22, 20, and 16-year-olds. Great preachers, they love Jesus, but I've had to teach them that if you don't operate on that hour and a half on a Sunday, that's not your significance. Otherwise, everybody's trying to be something. They're not. That's not significant. Your significance is doing what God's called you to do outside of the facilities, not on Sundays in the main meeting. Please hear that, friend. But somehow, church focus, if you don't go to, say everyone wants to be on the worship team, everyone wants to preach, everyone wants to line up, don't do everything out here in the meeting. Get out there and be who God's called you to be. That's your significance. It matters because the kingdom of God is what gives you your significance. Am I making sense? Church focus is what happens on our Sundays. Kingdom focus is what happens every single day. We need to live as if God's kingdom exists, that our, matter, that our participation in it really matters. Now, for too long, we've said this. If you're to die tonight, where will you spend eternity? And, and that's a radical question that needs answering. But kingdom people understand this. If you wake up tomorrow, it is as relevant as if you die tonight. If you wake up tomorrow, who or what will you live for? Those are the questions that matter. Not if you die tonight. If you wake up, which is highly likely most of us will. What will you live for? Who will you live for? And the kingdom gives value to going to work tomorrow, going to whatever you're doing. It's the kingdom of God that gives you your value, friend. You want a life of significance? Get involved in the kingdom of God. Go read Matthew. You want to live this out? Read Matthew 6, how Jesus taught us to pray. If we prayed that prayer of how he taught us, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the glory, the power, dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we pray that, not verbatim, but with that heart, we would live for the kingdom every single day. That's the solution to how we do this. Not every year we get a preach around kingdom. Every day we pray, your kingdom come. And I've been stuck in America through COVID. <laughs> I love my country. First time I've been there two years straight where I've seen all four seasons in Denver. Never knew that we had all four. I heard about them, but I never experienced them. Now I have. It's beautiful. All seasons are great. But I want to be honest with you. I found a lot of my identity in my calling of preaching to thousands of people all over the world. My job is to go and preach, and I've just been preaching to thousands all over Africa, South Africa, Australia. That's my thing, get on these stages and equip people and preach and team meetings. But that stuff was ceased for a moment. And I honestly began to question my identity, my calling. What's the point of it all? If I can't go, I'm stuck on Zoom. How do you go on Zoom? You can't go. And then I realized that that's part of the outworking, but the call hasn't changed. 
And so I had to begin to see the, the, the city I was living in and the gym. I went to the gym and I, I began to reach out to people and talk to people who I would never talk to, who I was so busy preparing for equips. And I, I began to realize that these people, one person I'm witnessing to is as important as 10,000 people I'm preaching to. They're all relevant in the call of God. It's not the size or the significance. It's simply the obedience of living kingdom. Now the doors are open and I'm beginning to travel and get back to the thousands, but I haven't neglected the ones and twos of me ministering to those people, reaching out. And I've met some incredibly successful business people. I'm talking millions, millionaires and billionaires in the gym I work out. They are rich. They have everything, yet they have nothing. They're alcoholics. They are the most miserable. I've always wanted to ask a millionaire what they do with their, money, with their time. So I said to this guy eventually, now we're friends. I'm like, I've always wanted to know, what do you as a billionaire do with your day? What do you do all day? And he began to just weep. He said, nothing. I don't do anything. I sit and wait for my wife who chooses to work because she doesn't want to be around me. She goes to work and I sit and I drink and I get drunk and I wait for her to return and I want to just hang out. I'm bored. I'm lonely. I have helicopters, I fly around, I've got everything I need, but I have nothing. He goes to a, a religious group, I'll just leave it at that, and he does all the this, that, and the other stuff. He's part of the church, but he has no significance because he's not part of kingdom life. <coughs> he has everything, yet he has no significance. He gets drunk every day, and he's got it all. This guy is so rich, his wife bought him for his 60th birthday a Corvette without him knowing. Now, let me just tell you, you would know if your wife bought you that with your money. Every day he drives another car. And I'm just trying to tell you, he has all the toys, all the money, everything he wants. And he is the most miserable and has no significance in the success. My trying to help this man is not come to my church, not come to my movement, come to my... Just let me tell you about a king who gives you significance in his kingdom. That's where we're at, friend. It's not in your preaching and your going and your staying. It's in the king and his kingdom. Let's close our eyes together. I just I want to give us tonight in this room an opportunity to yield and submit again to the rule and reign of Jesus. I'm not asking you to get saved. I believe everyone in this room is a believer, and so I'm trusting for that. But, but I do sense, if we're honest, the rule and reign of God. We haven't yielded. or Maybe we've moved from. Maybe Jesus become ornamental. Maybe we love singing to Him. We honor Him every morning before we go. But we actually become about our thing. And again, it's not a rebuke. It's an encouragement tonight to come back to King and Kingdom. Church leaders, those who govern God's people, can be about the church at the expense of the kingdom. I've been that. You can't go tell others about this kingdom and this king if you're not yielded and submitted to this king in his kingdom. The rule and reign. Maybe there's stuff you're going through tonight that you just need the rule of God to break in. And I believe tonight he wants to 
I'm not going to call you out and have this long ministry, but we can't talk about the kingdom and say, go home and pray about it. There's, there's, the, there's the rule and reign of God in this room tonight. If you've got marriage issues, I believe, honestly, it's the rule and reign of God that will bring stability to your marriage. If you are sick physically, emotionally, the rule and reign of God can come and fix you right now. Relational tension, He can heal you. But it's coming back to submitting to the rule and reign. And so I'm going to just ask you to respond however you need to respond. If it means you raising your hand to him, if it means you getting on your knees, we're not going to let, I just feel like there's a response and then we'll hand this back to Mark and land it. But friends, I, I don't want to convince you. My job is not to convince us. My job is to tell the truth and let the Spirit convince us of truth. But I'm telling you, I honestly believe with all my heart, I've got so many preachers I've brought to this week but I can't get away from this preach. This is what we need to hear again. But would you respond? If you need to, just get on your knees, stand up, sit down, whatever you got to do. Not for me, for you and your king to allow the rule and reign of God to come. And so we're going to just, I'm going to silent now, be quiet for a moment, and we're going to all just, Do what we need to do. And if you don't need to do anything, just enjoy Jesus for a moment. But there's a fashioning and a forming us this week. Not hearers. He's fashioning and forming us to be. So I'm going to stop speaking and just let's do some business tonight. Let's get some victory. We sang victory songs tonight. But are you truly living in victory? And you'll never find victory until you come to a place of surrender. Because surrender brings victory in the kingdom of God. It's the only place where victory comes through surrender. So let's respond to our king tonight. Let's behold our king. Let's make room for our king.
You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. Stay in that moment. Just stay in that for a moment, friends. I know we got to go, but I feel like there's a deep work just happening. And I, I don't want to distract, but I feel like if you are physically ill tonight, would you just stand up where you are? I feel like the Lord wants to heal people tonight. If you're physically ill, just stand up. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, be healed. In the name of of Jesus be healed body line up with how God intended your body to be the rule and reign of God break in break over break in and break through bring healing to these bodies in Jesus mighty name be healed be healed be healed in Jesus name if you need emotional healing would you stand in Jesus name keep standing those of you who are physically ill trust the Lord to heal you we don't need to come to you and lay hands on you. I believe in laying hands, but I also believe it's in the power of authority of Jesus, in his name. Jesus didn't pray for healing. He spoke healing. We come not in our authority. We come in his authority. Be healed. If you need emotional healing, in Jesus' name, be healed. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Bring order, Lord, to chaos. Bring healing to pain. Bring revelation, bring wholeness and well-being in the name of Jesus. Be healed in Jesus' name. Just receive where you are. Don't pray. Let me ask pray for you. Just receive. If you're ill, sick, be healed in Jesus' name.
you need re- relational healing, would you stand in Jesus' name? I'm not singling you out. I'm just wanting to be faithful. Relational healing, whatever that means. Would you stand up and, in Jesus' name? Would you take, Lord, what is impossible, what is perceived to be impossible, and would you, in this moment, make it possible? Restore. Relationships that are done, would you restore those relationships tonight? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Be healed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know that uh, surrender releases God's presence in us. But obedience releases God's presence through us. In and through. Surrender and obey. So Lord, I, I, we, we all just stand as I give the mic back to, my, uh, to Mark. Can you just raise your hands in one? Thanks for your patience, guys. It's been three years, right? Come on. Us. Father, this evening in this room, we freshly surrender. We choose to surrender. We all surrender today. We yield to our King Jesus as Lord. Lord of all. Not just our Savior, but our Lord, our King, our Sovereign One who's been given supremacy over all things. In this room tonight, we give you that place again. We surrender before you, King Jesus. We surrender our lives, our ministries, our families, our futures. All that we hold dear to, we surrender. That which we hold on to, we surrender. And may there be true rule and reign in all of us genuine kingdom life, genuine kingdom signs that we are a kingdom people who are focused on our king. The main sign of it all. We bless you tonight. In Jesus' name.